Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I want to welcome you here tonight. My name is Michelle, and I'm, I'm full of joy. Joy to the world, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I heard some clapping. I love it. I have a couple of things that I want to share with you to get you ready for the service. And I have my little cues up here because they help me remember. So number one, I hope you got a communion cup on your way in. Um, At each door, you'll see these communion cups. You're going to want to make sure you have that. All right. And then we've got these in your seat candles with a bonus. Oh, yeah, a red post-it. And you're going to want that. It's important. It really is. So make sure you take the red post-it out of the candle um, because we don't want to light this place on fire. There are better ways to invite the fire marshal than that. Am I right? Yeah. So take that out. Have that aside with you. And then the next thing I want to make sure you have is that one more gift. Did everybody bring that one more gift? I hope you brought a heart ready to give tonight to the Christmas offering. Our special Christmas offering this year, the elders have prayed and decided based on the great need that we have seen as we have served this community this year. They have decided that our special Christmas offering will be to help those in need right here. And who is that? Your neighbor is in need. Two miles down the road, I've heard of a mom feeding her van full of kids out of the break, out of the blessings box behind the school right i've seen a mom who lost everything in an apartment fire who came to get something but she waited till last to be served cuz she knew there were others who were in more need than her right i can learn from that i've seen the family who lost their dad unexpectedly with little kids a wash in grief, crushed under grief and in desperate need, some families for the first time, kids who are not eating since the hot meal they had at lunch the day before. But because of your generosity, we've been able to help them this year. Guys, this is a dark place, this, this area. We might not see it, but open your eyes. We want to be light, and we want you to help. And you can help with your Christmas offering. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus. I didn't give them earlier. I'm going to tell you where to put the Christmas offering. There are some envelopes. You can fill those out. Please designate Christmas offering. There are some giving kiosks in the back of the room. Also, on your way out the door, there's a super secret spy slit in the wall. You can drop it in there. Or you can give online. If you're one of those folks who can scan that thingamajig and... Man, go for it. However you want to give, we ask you to be generous. I am so thankful to be part of a generous church. And I'm asking you one more time to bring your gift and be generous because this is going to help us shine the light of Jesus in this community. You know, there's that great piece of scripture that says, behold, not just look, behold, behold. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So for you and for me, great joy. We're going to wake up tomorrow. We're going to have our warm socks on. It's going to be amazing. But it's also for that mom who's feeding her child out of the blessings box. It's also for the one that I heard about last night standing on the corner, freezing cold, had nowhere to go but his tent in the woods. It's for all of those. If you'll help us um, by, by giving your generously giving to this Christmas offering, then we will be able to help this community and shine a light for Jesus in the darkness because there is hope 
and his name is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, oh, we're so glad to be here tonight. We came to worship. We came to celebrate joy to the world. Emmanuel, God with us, come to earth a king, come to earth humbly, lying in a manger to save us, to show us the way to heal us, to show us what it looks like to live a life of service. Lord, we celebrate you. We want to be more like you. We're so thankful to be here celebrating your birth together. And Lord, I pray right now that every heart in here will rejoice that a Savior has been born to us, Jesus Christ the Lord. We love you. Please accept our praise now, Lord, as something beautiful. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. With us to celebrate tonight, so we're going to ask if you're able to stand up as we celebrate the season.
Good evening and Merry Christmas, everyone. Scripture for this evening is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2, 12. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and came to, <clears throat> and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling <clears throat> all the chief priests, described to the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, and you will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. Now listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came, came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country in another way. This is the word of the Lord. Merry Christmas, church. We are the Ensminger family. I'm Gary. This is Everett, Josie, and my wife, Kate. We've been at River Bluff for about nine months, and we feel truly blessed to be a part of your family. Um, If if it's your first time here, welcome, and hope to see you again soon. We are going to um, do the, uh, the Advent lightning 
We are grateful to continue the celebration of Advent. Advent. Today we, we light the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. This reminds us of the hope we have as we await the imminent return of our Lord Jesus. Now we relight the candle of peace to remind us of the peace with God that Jesus made for us through his sacrificial death on the cross. Uh, we relight the candle of joy, reminding us of the great joy the angels proclaimed when Jesus was born. We relight the fourth candle of Advent, Advent, the candle of love. This reminds us of God's great love for us that he displayed by giving his son, his only begotten son, for us that we might have eternal life with him. From the Old Testament, we read these words from God in Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. Now we light the Christ candle because Jesus Christ, the true, the true light of the world, has come. From John 8, 12, we read these words spoken by our Lord Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the, the light of life. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for this time of season that we can come and, and worship and celebrate you, uh, celebrate your birth, the true reason, of, the true reason for Christmas. Um, thank you, God, for being the light in our lives and uh, shining through the darkness. Lord, there is a lot of darkness out there and just we thank you so much for, for loving us and we thank you for your grace and your mercy um, that you've given us even though we do not deserve it. Um, thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given us. In your name we pray, amen.
come, we come gathered as your saints, declared by you for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, in you, Jesus, to be declared your saints. We thank you that we come gathered knowing that it's not because of anything that we did, but because of everything that you did, Lord Jesus. And so we come to celebrate, we come to give thanks, we come, we come to worship and adore you as King of kings and Lord of lords, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, we just praise you. And we come also tonight bringing ourselves once again to you, devoting ourselves to follow you, coming tonight on the eve of the day when we celebrate your birth to to worship, to sing praise to you, but also to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves before your word and your call on our lives. We come again realizing that Christmas is not just about receiving gifts, but we do recognize we receive the greatest gift in you, Lord Jesus. And we come tonight refocusing our lives to, to give back that gift of you, that life you've given us. And so I pray as we think together for a few moments about what Christmas was all about, that first Christmas to those we read about in your word, that our hearts and minds might be open to something that you have for us tonight so that we would once again experience the beauty and joy and wonder and awe of God coming in the flesh that first Christmas day. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. Merry Christmas to you. Woo! Yeah, I heard that. Sounded great. A good hoop and a holler is good for the soul every now and then. Glad you are, are here this evening. And uh, I want to I, I want to know if you um, pull this out. Did you follow the instructions earlier and pull this out of your little candle holder? Because if you didn't, you need to do that before you set it on fire. 
okay? So make sure that is not part of your candle work. Th these are, some people call them, I call them sticky notes. Some people call them, you know, I think the official name is like post-it notes. Um, I don't know how you use these, but I use these things uh, all over the place. They're, you know, they're on my desk, they're on the bookshelf, they're on my, they're, they're on my computer monitor. You know, I stick them all kinds of places to remind me of something that I don't, I don't want to forget or don't want to lose. They were actually invented kind of on a fluke, um, the way that they came about. Arthur Fry and Spencer Silver are credited with inventing these things. Uh, Mr. Silver created the, the adhesive microspheres. He kind of stumbled upon it uh, accidentally. Uh, back in 1968, Mr. Fry, then the first application, he stuck them on the back of some paper that he was going to use as a Bible bookmark. So the first time it was actually applied and used was in a church of all things. I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, what began kind of as a mundane, you know, kind of experiment, if you would, became kind of miraculous, especially for 3M because they've made millions and millions and mi just off of me. You know, just, just from the amount of sticky notes that, that, that I have used. Now, one of the things and the reason that I kind of bring this to your attention this evening is because Christmas, in its day, that first Christmas day, probably seemed mundane to most people that were out and about on that, that, that evening. Uh, it was just business as usual. It was mundane in so many ways. But what was mundane to most of the world at that time, became the greatest miracle to date in the world. God, God in the flesh came, and that miracle changed the world. And here's one of the amazing things for me about Christmas is Christmas can, if we will let it, stick to our lives. It has something adhesive. In fact, the truths of Christmas are what really we need to apply to our lives, need to stick to us um, some of the truths uh, uh, about Christmas. And I don't know about you, but uh, sticky notes for me are sometimes used as reminders. You know, if, if Kathy says, hey, stop and get this, I'll try to stop and get that, you know, but I write it on a sticky note oftentimes um, and stick it, you know, right next to my phone or on my backpack so when I grab it and head out, I'll, I'll remember those kinds of things. Well, I believe... If you want to think about what God did at Christmas, God, God put some sticky notes out. In fact, God has been in the sticky note business before there were sticky notes. Um, God planted sticky notes all throughout uh, human history. Uh, for instance, in the scripture that Bill Barrow read to us earlier from the Gospel of Matthew, the wise men, they saw one of those incredible astronomical, if you would, sticky notes that God hung in space. That, that star, and it proclaimed the miracle of, of Christ's birth. Again, what may have seemed mundane to many was miraculous to the wise men at, at that time. And again, this miracle, it, it changed the world. It split time as we know it. Now, one of the earliest post-it notes that, that God used, one of those sticky notes uh, stuck in people's lives, was he gave to a group of people known as the Jews, and they carried it with them into uh, captivity when they were captured by a kingdom of Babylon. And God planted another kind of post-it note, if you would, into, into that time in, in human history. The Jews, as they were taken into captivity, they took with them a prophetic 
a word, a belief that God had posted, if you will, throughout human history, even prior to that moment, as far back as in the book of Genesis, God had, had, had posted that he would send a Savior, that a Messiah would come on the scene in, in human history. And all throughout history, there were these post-it notes, these prophetic posts that, that God made. And one young man who was taken into captivity, into exile in, in the Babylonian captivity, his name was Daniel. And he believed those, those post-its by God, those, those sticky notes that God had given throughout, throughout history. He believed them, and then he wrote down his own experiences of how he interacted with God around some of those prophetic words. And in Daniel chapter 9, we're not going to pull it out and read it right now. You can go look at it later. But in Daniel chapter 9, something incredible happened in Daniel's life. He was visited by an angel by the name of Gabriel. Now, Gabriel's the same angel if you go over to Luke's uh, account of the Christmas story. Gabriel's the same angel that appeared to Mary to tell her that she would uh, give birth to God's son and that she would name him Jesus. But in that, in that very same prophetic word from that angel, he told them that a Jewish Savior would come, that he would come at a time when there was national trouble, which was really predicting the rule of Rome over uh, their occupation of Jerusalem and, and of God's people. He told how there would be a Savior who would come who would forgive sin, who would uh, establish justice, and who would suddenly be unjustly killed just like Jesus was. That was the word from the angel Gabriel, and it became a post-it note for Daniel. And because of Daniel's massive influence, he had risen in the ranks uh, in Babylon as a leader in their culture. And because of his influence, that account, that sticky note stuck, not only in the Jewish culture, but also in the Babylonian culture. So when God would allow the Jews back to their homeland, that story stuck in the hearts and minds of many in Babylon. And that would be passed down for hundreds of years until one day these wise men who lived in that region of the world, they, these learned men, they were astronomers, they were scientists, they were theologians, they saw that promised sticky note in the sky, that star that God hung, and they followed it until it led them to the Christ child. See, God had placed his prophetic uh, sticky notes, if you would, in just the right place that die, day. And one of the things I pray that you are captured by is that God is still in the business of posting his word, of, of speaking the, these, these sticky note truths, if you would, into human hearts. And so one of the things that I want to ask you uh, tonight is this. How is the, the word of God, how are those sticky notes that God has compiled into this book called the Bible, how's it, how's it moving in your life these days? Is, is it sticking in your life? Is it, is it sticking in such a way that it's, it's moving you? Because one of the things that God's Word did as it stuck in the hearts and minds of these wise men is it moved them. It moved them to take a radical road trip. And I mean a radical road trip. Now, right now, millions of people in our nation are on a radical road trip. Some of them are stuck in airports. Some are stuck on the interstates. You've seen the news, you know. But even as intense as that is, it in no way compares to the trip that these wise men went on um, and the struggle that it, it, it was. Uh, you know, they, they, they didn't have plane, trains, and automobiles. 
They didn't have restaurants and interstates and all those kinds of things. They, they just, they went. And historians tell us it was about a thousand mile journey. Their, their starting point was somewhere in what we know of today as modern day uh, Iraq. And when they finally ended up worshiping Jesus just outside Jerusalem in this little place called Bethlehem, they came and they worshiped him. Have you ever seen a Christmas ornament or maybe a, a coffee mug that says wise men still worship him? Anybody ever seen one of those? Maybe you own one or something like that. But th th it's, it's truth. Wise people still gather to worship Jesus. Now, it wasn't easy for those wise men in that day to make their way to worship this king of kings as they saw him. They had a lot of barriers to overcome. They had great distance. They had great difficulty. And, and, but they, they came. And when they made it to Jerusalem, that's not exactly where the star was uh, standing over, but they, they thought, well, if there's going to be a king born in this region of the world, then it's got to be in the capital city. So they, had a, they made a beeline to the capital city, which was Jerusalem, which again created a greater challenge because the king in Jerusalem was crazy. I mean, he, he, seriously, this guy was, a, a, he was actually a very well-known serial killer. He had already murdered the, the woman that was supposed to be his favorite wife. He killed his mother. He killed two of his sons because he thought they were all after his throne. He was so cruel and, and so uh, just crazed that on his deathbed, he ordered that many of the prominent citizens in the city of Jerusalem be rounded up and ordered that when he died, they'd be killed so that somebody in the city would cry on the night of his death. That, that's how bizarre this guy was. And, and this was known far and wide. So the wise men knew coming into the city what they were pressing into. And so they, they come into this city and they begin asking this question, where is this newborn king? They had this prophetic post-it note from God that they knew about. They, they, they came looking for you know, th th this, this Christ child. And surely the people in Jerusalem would, would know about it. Surely they would know in the capital city. And so they, they just walk in asking this question. Now, imagine the paranoia that sets into Herod's heart when he heard about these foreign dignitaries that have shown up in his city to ask the whereabouts of this newborn king that he knew nothing of. So Herod did what kings do. He quickly convened all of his religious leaders around him, and he posed this question, where's this newborn king? And of course, these religious leaders knew because they were the keepers of God's sticky notes throughout all human history. They were the ones that were responsible for hanging on to it and teaching it to the people. So they took out their compilation of sticky notes, the Old Testament. They turned to one of those books called the book of Micah, because it was there in the book of Micah that 750 years earlier, God had prophesied through Micah the coming of a Savior. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says this, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who was alive from everlasting ages past. Now I need to go back for just a second. And I want to call attention to something that I think is important. I said earlier that these magi were uh, astronomers. They studied the stars. And I think it's important to notice that God showed up for them where they were, at their place of business, where, where they worked, 
where they made their, you know, their area of expertise, where, where, where they engaged, if you would. And God placed his sticky note for them right there in the night sky. It was actually a fulfillment of ancient prophecy found in Numbers chapter 24. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, one of the things that kind of wrecks me when I think about it is that those religious leaders who supposedly were the keepers of all those sticky notes, they were God's chosen people, they were indifferent to Messiah's coming. It had been announced now, these wise men had seen his star, they knew the scriptures, they knew what had been posted by God, but they, they didn't have it in them to take that six-mile walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to worship him. The wise men, they were intent on worshiping this king. The religious leaders, they were just indifferent to him. It's like no big deal. And what it did in Herod's heart and mind was it incensed him. He was angry. He was furious. He was murderous. Now, what's fascinating to me is that we live 2,000 years later, and people still have that same range of reactions to the sticky notes that God has planted in our in our world. Some, like you, many of you, are here tonight intent on worshiping the Savior. Others around the world are just indifferent. Doesn't mean, you know, that big a deal. Yeah, what, whatever. But interestingly, in our culture today, there are many who are incensed by the thought of a Savior, a King, a, a God, because what it does is it challenges their basic life philosophy and it, it says that they're not king of their lives if, if Jesus is king. So here we have these magi, and they, they show up here in Jerusalem, and then they're guided and redirected by these Jewish leaders to where the Messiah would be born. And again, I think it's important at, at Christmas to see, to just see the greatness of Jesus that is, is being displayed here. You know, he's, he's here in this humble state of a of a babe in the humbleness of of a, a cave in and laid in, in a manger he hasn't preached a sermon he hasn't performed a miracle and yet god is already showing us his power because he's moving king herod and he's moving these religious leaders even though they're not moving in the right direction see the religious leaders they understood god's post-it note but here's what they failed to do they did not apply it in their own lives. They read the notes. They knew what they meant. They just failed to let the word of God stick to their lives, to their hearts. They, they were just indifferent. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think it is. I, I think they grew indifferent because somehow they thought because of their circumstances that God had become indifferent towards them, that, that God had forgotten them in their captivity and occupation uh, under Roman rule and they they grew indifferent towards God but I, I want to tell you tonight if if your heart has begun to grow indifferent towards God I want you to hear the truth from God's word about about who you are in God's eyes in Psalm chapter 42 we read this each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon us that's who God is See, God never created 
a single person that he doesn't love. And love requires that you pay attention to people that you love. See, when you pay attention to what somebody else is doing, to, to what's important to somebody else, you're expressing and you're showing that you love them. God's Word tells us in Psalm 56 that God sees every tear that you shed. Tells us, oh God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. He's seen every tear, every sorrow. He's heard every laugh you've ever laughed. God, God, God knows what brings joy. God knows the numbers of hairs on your head. For some of you, he didn't have to count very high. You know, he knows which hairs fell out today in the sink or which turned gray uh, uh, on your head. He knows. He, he sees. The Bible says in Job chapter 23 that God knows every step I take. This is a God who knows and sees. He's concerned about your steps. He's not forgotten you. He's not, he's not indifferent towards you. In Isaiah chapter 49, God makes this declaration. He starts with a question. Can a mom forget her nursing child? I think most mothers in the congregation would say, are you kidding me? Well, God says, even if that were possible, I would not forget you. He says, see, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. Friends, your name was written in the palm of God's hand when Jesus was nailed to that cross. That's what took place that day. God was saying, I see you. I love you. I know you. I know your struggles. He's paying attention. He didn't forget. See, you can not only know how much God loves you by how he's paid attention, but you can also know how much God loves you by how he took the initiative to save you. See, love isn't just words that we, we give or speak to others on someone's behalf. It's, it's making someone else's problem your own. It's taking on that which is a burden for others. And that's exactly what God did at Christmas. God sent his only begotten son into this world to take on your biggest problem, to take on my biggest problem. Friends, God is not indifferent to you. And the other thing that God is not, God is not incensed at you. He is not angry at, at, at you. God loves you. You know, Herod, he was this power-hungry, maniacal, paranoid serial killer. And he tried to use the wise men eventually to, to kill the Christ child. But because they were wise men and they listened to the Spirit of God, they knew that Herod was full of lies. And when Herod, you know, this is the interesting thing that blows me away when I think about the biblical narrative and what went on with Herod. When Herod called the religious leaders of the day around, they went to the book of Micah. What did they do? They did a Bible study. King Herod is sitting with the religious leaders of the day, and they're having a Bible study in the book of Micah. And the next thing on his agenda is, I'm going to kill this kid. Friends, you can go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, and if you don't let the truth of God's Word implant in your heart, it'll take you nowhere. And that's what was going on 
with Herod. He had a different kind of motivation in his heart. He, he heard the word of God, but it did not stick about the beauty of Messiah. You know, over the years, we've had, we've had hundreds of people come through our Christmas services. Hopefully, at times, some of, some of them have heard, you know, a good Bible study. And yet, some are made worse by their hearing because they don't apply what God's Word says. That's what God's Word tells us. Herod claimed this, he had this desire to worship, but in reality, he wanted to, to kill. Now, we read that, and, and, and when we read the details of what happened later when Herod had literally all of the babies two and under in that region, male children put to death, and we all say how horrible, how, how harsh, how, how wretched. And yet, we live in a culture that's constantly trying to rub Jesus out just trying to do away with him. And so often, we in our own lives are trying to push Jesus away and push him back. You know, just disregarding him or sometimes just blatantly rejecting the post-it notes that God has sent to you about your Savior. When the wise men finally entered into Jesus' presence, God's Word tells us that they bowed down and they worshiped him, and they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We sang about those gifts just a moment ago. Now, it was common, especially in the East, that if you were going to find yourself in the presence of royalty or uh, in the presence of someone who in, in a culture was considered a leader, to bring them a gift. And I want us to consider for just a couple minutes these gifts. Just think about them for a minute. Gold was a gift for a king. It symbolized royalty. Now, these Babylonian wise men were familiar with Daniel's writings from when he was in Babylon. I want you to listen to something out of chapter 9, verse 25. It says, now listen and understand seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. If you go back and actually do mathematics and apply that, you will see that is a prophetic word from God about the arrival of Messiah. And these wise men knew about this. And they, they believed this. And they believed that Jesus was this anointed one who had come. And because of this, they offered him their submission. See, if Jesus is the king of kings, if he's the king of everything, we need to, we need to submit ourselves to him. Not just give him a nod. We, we need to let our hearts kneel before him. See, gold represented their knowledge of his sovereign dominion. But frankincense represented something else. It represented that they understood his sinless deity. In Exodus chapter 30, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather fragrant spices. Mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense. Never use this formula to make this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. Basically, this text is telling us that frankincense is the main ingredient in this incense that is to be given to God alone. Bringing this gift of frankincense, the Magi were worshiping this baby as God. They acknowledged that he was worth their worship. You know, the Bible says we're, we're made to worship. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, in this story, this narrative 
of the Magi, going into the house, it says, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts. They poured out all that they had to this child. When Jesus would grow into to manhood and launch his public ministry, uh, Matthew records Jesus teaching this. You shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. So because of his sovereign dominion, they needed to serve him. And if you see him as the sovereign Lord of all, we need to serve him. And we do that by making his will our life purpose. Man, what a great way to think about gifting Jesus this Christmas by deciding, I want, I want my life purpose to be doing your will. So they brought him gold to represent his sovereign dominion. They brought frankincense to represent his sinless deity. But then they brought myrrh. And we sang about it a moment ago. Myrrh was used to embalm the dead. Now, I find it interesting that the Bible never records. If you read the book of Acts and study it about the early church, you read the letters um, of the, the apostles, including Paul, you'll never see the early church celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's not in there. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing that we're doing. I think we should celebrate the birth of our Lord. I think it's a wonderful, and, and I think it's a good thing. But here is one thing that Jesus himself told us to regularly remember, that we should remember his death, that we should actually celebrate and be grateful for his death. In Galatians chapter 3, we read these words, Christ has rescued us from the curse when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for wrongdoing, for it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. We talked last Sunday, I don't know if you brought your chain link, but we talked last Sunday about uh, about God breaking the bondage, about Jesus destroying the captivity, about him breaking every chain. And he did that by taking on the curse of sin and death for us. See, for Jesus, the real Christmas tree was his cross. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read these words, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, it was in his body while he hung on that tree that sin was forgiven. Now, it's not a tree that was decorated like the trees in this building or maybe at your own home, but it was a tree that was stained by the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus had to be born in order to die. And that was the great beauty and power of Christmas. But here's what Satan does. Satan loves to guide us, draw us to this babe in a manger, to this child in a cradle, but to reject the Christ on the cross. Anybody remember Ricky Bobby? You remember Ricky Bobby? Yeah. Ricky Bobby loved who? Little baby Jesus. He had no time whatsoever for the Christ on the cross. So much of our world is exactly like that. They want the babe in a manger, but they don't want the king on the cruel cross. See, because of his sovereign dominion, I have to give him everything, my, my worldly wealth. 
Everything belongs to him. Because of his sinless deity, I have to I give him my worship. And because of his sacrificial death, I, I, we need to give him our witness. We need to be willing to tell the world that he died for us. You know, from the Christmas account in Matthew's gospel, we see these three human responses to the Christ of Christmas and the Christ that would make his way to the cross. Some, some in our world today are incensed, like, like Herod. But here's the deal, friends. Truthfully, if you try to make your whole life about being king of your life, it never works. Self-worship never gets you what you think it's going to get you. Herod could testify to that today. See, what Jesus came and did was he reminded Herod that he really was not in charge. And Herod had to come face to face with that. The religious leaders, they were indifferent. They had that whatever mentality when it comes to Jesus. Even though they were confronted by the word of God, nothing happened in their lives. They were satisfied with less, and that's exactly what they ended up with. But the wise men, the wise men were not satisfied with just looking at this sticky note in the sky. They, they, they did something about it. They let it direct their lives to the Savior, to the Christ child. Friends, the message of Christmas is that those who look for God will find Him. Those who seek the Savior will see him. God tells us that in Jeremiah chapter 29. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. If you seek him, you will see him. And if you truly ever see him, really see him for who he is, you will worship him. See, those who worship him surrender to him. They make Jesus and they're forever changed. One of the interesting parts of the story in Matthew chapter 2, is it tells us that the wise men went back home another way. Some translations say by another road. Friends, there's a beautiful picture there of truth that any time true worship of Jesus happens, you will never go back the way you came. You will always be forever changed. See, that's the miracle of Christmas. Though it was mundane that first day, it's miraculous in its nature that way. At the cross, God arranged for the sins of the entire world to adhere to Jesus, to be stuck on the Savior. We didn't read it today, but in Luke's account, probably the one you think most of when you think of Christmas, the angels told the shepherds these words. He said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And God arranged for the sins of the world to stick to that Savior. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us God was in Christ. He was restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. See, what God was doing with Jesus on the cross that day was he was making a way for our sin to move from one surface to another, from mankind to Messiah. Jesus bore our sins in his body uh, on the cross. There was this crude Christmas cradle, and then there was this cruel, torturous cross. But they were both sticky notes that God desires to stick on our hearts, that we would see the miracle of Christmas, that we would see that it could stick 
uh, in our lives. Here's a truth about you and a truth about me that I know. Every last one of us have posted our sin for others to see. Some of you know some of my public sin. You've seen it in action. I've seen some of yours. So don't, you just wipe that smug grin off your face. All of us have posted our sin. Now some of our sin we've tried to hide. We didn't want to, we don't display them quite like this. But here's what God's word tells us. God's word tells us that what he did with Jesus is, is he removed our sin if we would put our trust in Jesus that he would, he would take our sin and he would wear our sin and he would forgive our sin and he would heal us and we would no longer have to pay for our sin and we would no longer be burdened by the power and the penalty of sin. And that's what Jesus did on the cross and he came at Christmas to do this. Now, here's the deal. Your sins are going to get posted somewhere for eternity. They will either stay posted on you, or they can be posted on Jesus. If you will trust him, if you come to God in faith and say, I trust that that baby born in a manger was born to die on that cross for my sin, and that his sacrificial atoning death could pay the penalty for my sin because he was holy and without sin. The deal is your sin, if you, if you let it stay stuck on you, it will separate you from God forever. But it, the Bible says if you, will, if you will walk away from your indifference, if you will walk away from your self-worship, those, those places in your heart that may, may have you incensed with God at times, if you will turn away from all that and believe Jesus, and believe the sticky notes that God has poured out in humanity about the Savior that the angels sang about to the shepherds. He was born to save from our sin. In Isaiah chapter 1, God says this. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. God says, come, let us reason. Come, take some moments to think deeply about this. And consider putting your trust, giving all of yourself to Jesus. And you can do that right now on Christmas Eve. You can just pray and say, Jesus, I believe what you did was for me. I believe you came at Christmas for me. I, be, I, I, I trust God in what you've done through Jesus. You can do that in these next moments, because we're going to take a few moments to just reflect. But here's the reality about most of us in this room. Most of us have taken Jesus up on his offer to pull the sins off of us and put them on him. And Jesus wanted us, those of us who follow him, those of us who have trusted him, to remember his sacrifice, even at Christmas. And so we're going to do that this evening. He left us, Jesus did, with a way to do that. 
We call it the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, and we want to share in that together tonight. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writing to the church at Corinth about, about a moment like we're about to engage. Paul writes these words. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We want to do that tonight as we share in communion together. I'm going to ask our praise team to begin making their way down here. I want to encourage you to use these next moments as a time to do just what the Scripture says. Let a person examine himself. And so what I'd urge you to do is take this time to seek the Lord. Invite Him to search you in your heart and your mind and, and say, God, is there any sin in me? Is there anything that I haven't posted on you yet that I just need to, to make right? Just go to Him prayerfully and say that I want to do that. And maybe, maybe tonight before you leave, maybe you want to Maybe you want to post your little sticky note on one of the crosses on either side of, of the room here tonight. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and take out your communion elements and just hold them in your hand. But what I want us to do right now is just go to the Lord for a time of reflection. Let's pray. Lord God, we come in this moment. We come giving thanks. But we also come, God, remembering we come remembering, yes, your birth at Christmas, and we celebrate you coming into the world, but we also remember that you came to be a sacrifice for our sins. You were that king born to die, to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. And so we come in these moments of reflection, and maybe your reflection is about receiving Christ personally tonight as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe it's just a reminder to turn from something that has a hold on you. And Jesus says he'll take it on. He'll take it off of you if you'll let him. Lord, we come in these moments, Holy Spirit, seeking to hear from you. We ask you now to speak to our hearts, point out any evil way in us so we can repent from it, turn back to you. Speak to us now. You are God with us. You are Emmanuel. We trust we can hear from you. We humble ourselves now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
if you would, go ahead and take your elements. And I would encourage you to kind of kind of flick your little tab down a little bit. It'll help you open up the first layer, layer and peel that back and take out the wafer. God's Word tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed before he was crucified, that he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it is given for you. Take and eat. Then the Bible tells us that after they had eaten, Jesus took the cup and he held it up saying, this is my blood of the covenant. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink from it, all of you. I've asked Pastor Dean in Finger if he would come and lead us in a time of prayer of thanks for the sacrifice that Jesus made. Dean? Will you pray with me? My Lord and my King, I confess I, I can't fathom your incredible love that you would leave the majesty, the glory, the power of heaven to come here for for me and all my brothers and sisters. And Lord, not to, not to a palace, but Lord, to a, a lowly manger, to a couple, a blue-collar carpenter. And Father, that you would live that life and go to that cross so that we can take the sticky notes of our sin and place it on you. Lord, I, I love that Christianity isn't like any other religion. It's not about earning our way to heaven. Father, it's simply accepting that, that greatest Christmas gift of all, and that's you. Father, thank you for that. Well, help us to take this, this gift of Christmas, to take your light, to take all that you give us, the relationship that you give us to know the God of the universe. Lord, bless this time, bless our Christmas season, Lord, and thank you for blessing us with you. In Jesus' name, amen. When the candles were being lit earlier, one of the scriptures that were read told us about into a great darkness, the light would come. And that word was prophesied about the light of Christ, who the Bible tells us is the light of the world. We're going to take these, our deacons are, and they're going to begin lighting one another's candle, and then they're going to come out and share with you, and we're going to ask you to help light each other's candles as well. You know, Jesus told us that he was the light of the world. And God's word tells us that anyone who would follow Jesus would have the light of life. 
and that anyone who had the light of life would never have to walk in, in darkness. You don't have to live in darkness of addictions. You don't have to live in darkness brought about by your own sin or even by the sins of others. The light of Christ came at Christmas and it's a light that gives life. And I pray that as we symbolically hand off the light that came from the Christ candle to one another, that we will celebrate life that we have in Jesus and we will be moved once again like we never have before to share that light with others. We have a bit of a tradition in ending our, our Christmas service by standing in candlelight and singing Silent Night, Holy Night, recognizing that first night when Jesus came, but looking forward, looking forward to his promised return when the light is going to break into all the darkness and will finally overcome it forever and ever. Stand with us, if you would, and join us as we sing together. Rain.
every day in the new year that you may be filled with the wonder of Mary and the obedience of Joseph, that the joy of the angels and the eagerness of the shepherds and the determination of the wise men will fill your souls. I pray that the peace of the Christ child will fill your hearts and minds and that the Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will bless you this day and forevermore. God bless you. Merry Christmas. And I hope to see you in the new year. Here's what you can do to help us. You can take your cup and you can extinguish your candle. And then you can take these and put them on the bins on your way out. If you came prepared to give to our Christmas Eve special offering to help us care for those in need locally, you can drop it off in the giving kiosk at any of the exits. And I just pray you have a very, very Merry Christmas. God bless you.